Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Mike Werner. Mike's the Vice President of Patient Engagement at Trialscope, a company out of New Jersey who are unlocking clinical trial data superpowers. They're helping to make centralising, structuring and activating clinical trial information simple for use across an organisation at every stage of a study. Mike's a software developer who used to work at the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research. Mike has made a career within the clinical trial space and helping patient advocacy groups support clinical trial awareness to their online communities. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Peter. No worries. That is not an Australian accent. So it's exciting to have someone who is not within our fine country. Whereabouts are you at the moment? You caught me. Uh, I live in New Jersey in the United States, but currently calling in from Connecticut. Cool. Excellent. I won't get you to do an Australian accent unless you've got a really good one, but we'll move on. Pass. (laughs) All right. right. You only get one pass for these questions, but they're pretty, they should be pretty good. Yeah. Interesting to to dig into more about Trialscope and what you do in the clinical trial space. So let's kick it off. Trialscope. What is it? Who's it for and what problem does it solve? Yeah. So Trialscope, we're a software company for the life sciences industry been around for a little over 10 years now, and primarily work with pharmaceutical companies in helping them manage their clinical trial data and sharing that data and information with external stakeholders. So we work with 17 of the top 20 pharmaceutical companies in the world. We work with many biotechs as well. Mm -hmm. And through that lens, we actually manage over 40% of the clinical trial data that exists in the different online registries, whether that's clinicaltrials.gov here in the US, UDRA-CT in Europe, and other registries around the world. A lot of that information is originating on our platform, and we're, we're helping the pharmaceutical companies disclose that publicly, may stay within all the, the regulations and, and things that are required of them. And so we've done that. We've done, we live and breathe trial data. And one of our newer ventures as of this past year is helping sponsors, the pharmaceutical companies, not just share their trial data with the regulators, but also share that data with clinical trial recruitment companies, patient advocacy groups, and other organizations that can help facilitate better clinical trial awareness and clinical trial recruitment. Okie dokie. And so, you're, and Mike, why, why is this all important to you? What's your story? What's got you involved in clinical trials? Yeah, so I definitely had an interesting life uh, curveball that sent me down this track. When I was in college, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And uh, it was a scary few months, didn't, didn't really know what the outcome would be, mm. and ended up having a really fortunate prognosis. And it, it's uh, something where the tumor won't affect me in my lifetime and, and just was really lucky coming out of that experience. But definitely had a, a bit of a, a wake up of recognizing a lot of folks run through challenging health situations. And uh, when I graduated college, I, I took a, a job early on at the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research helping the, the Parkinson's community. And just at that time, learned a lot about drug development and particularly the role clinical trials play in drug development. So for anyone not familiar, that's phase one, phase two, phase three, clinical trials. Every drug, every therapy, every cure that's ever been brought to market has had to run through that regimented process. And there's a reason why it exists. It's to make sure that that the drugs that are out there are safe and, and effective, and it has a lot of scientific rigor behind it. But one of the things that's really difficult is finding patients at the right time to participate in those trials. Trials might need 
few hundred people, they might need thousands of people. And finding those patients, connecting them to those trials, it's something that has a high cost in terms of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as very expensive for the pharmaceutical companies. And so if you've ever heard the statistics around, it takes 10 to 15 years to bring a drug to market, it takes billions of dollars to bring a, a drug to market. A lot of the bottleneck that exists today is actually at the point of finding patients for your clinical trials in a timely manner. Right, right. Okay. A few questions come out of that, but just to some of the first points you were talking around, I guess it's patient engagement. Your your title is VP of patient engagement. So is that your jam on a day-to-day is, is getting patients involved in this clinical trial? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, patients are people. Patients are really important in this process. And historically, I think ph- pharmaceutical companies and, and clinical trial recruitment has gotten a bad rep because it's been about how do I get patients in a funnel to get to my trial? Mm. My trial is the finish line. And so I have competitors out there. If I'm a pharmaceutical company, I have other competitors. I want to make sure that patients get to my trial so that my trial is the one that ultimately wins and and gets to market. And that sort of trial-centric approach really does a disservice to patients because what it ends up meaning is that a patient, when they maybe see an ad on Facebook or they talk to their doctor, they're not getting a holistic, here's all the opportunities that are out there. They're getting very much a narrow, here's one thing that we're going to put in front of you. And if you're not a good fit, that's the end of your journey. And so a lot of the industry has recognized the the inefficiencies of that, the disservice to patients. And so there's been a big movement towards moving towards a patient-centric approach. How do you think about a patient? How do you make them aware of all the opportunities out there? Maybe they do participate or don't participate in the trial, but making sure that the the patient is properly informed of all of their options will lead to a better outcome for everyone. It's just, there's a lot of stakeholders when it comes to running clinical trial recruitment programs. There's going to be patients, there's going to be patient advocacy groups, there's going to be patient recruitment companies, there's going to be the sites that are running the clinical trials, the sponsors that are bringing the the drug to market. And so with all those different stakeholders, sometimes it's tough to coordinate. It's tough to think through an experience end-to-end, a journey end-to-end. And so one of the things that I I spend a lot of time at at TrialScope is making sure that the patient journey, the patient experience is really a part of the the technology and the solutions that we're developing. Mm -hmm. And so the technology that you're developing, you're trying to, to remove as much friction as possible through that process. What what are some of the most important things or the or the biggest challenges that are faced by those patients or or any other stakeholders through the clinical trial process? Yeah, so from a patient standpoint, they run into a lot of things that create bottlenecks or things that might trip them up on their journey. One of the biggest ones is just access to to information in the in the, where they're consuming that. Mm-hmm. So there are government registries where trial information exists. The the challenge with that is that's not always known to patients that these resources exist. The user experience, the search capabilities of those sites isn't really optimized the same way you you would imagine for something like going to kayak to purchase a flight to fly to Australia. Mm-hmm. When I go to Kayak, I can really provide the information of what I'm looking for, and I get exactly what I want, and it's very seamless to to get to that finish line of purchasing a flight, hmm. and then I have a great experience from there on out. With clinical trial recruitment, it's it kind of there's data out there about the trials. It's very difficult to understand if this is a trial you'd want to participate in not, or not. Sometimes the information is out of date. So the site says it's recruiting, but it's actually not recruiting. So you'll try to call or email someone and you'll never hear back. Hmm. 
So that's a bit of a disservice. Sometimes you'll contact a site and they'll never respond to you. Another thing that I think there's a lot of room for improvement in the industry is for patients that end up enrolling in a trial, making sure that they actually get information once the trial is completed and have full transparency into were they, if it was an interventional trial, were they given a placebo or did they actually receive the drug Mm -hmm. as well as what was the outcome? What was learned from this trial? Even maybe if, if the drug isn't approved, something was learned, something is being shared. And so making sure that patients that raise their hand and participate in research and are heroes, making sure that they're treated as an ongoing partic- uh, stakeholder in this and get the information on the other side of it. Got it. So, so that's definitely, I think, on the patient side. I think one of the other challenges that we've seen at TrialScope is there's a lot of recruitment companies that do a great job. They're very effective. They maybe have ge- certain geographic capabilities and do a great job of recruiting patients in Europe or in Australia. The problem sometimes is if you're a pharmaceutical company, you're running a global trial with 150 different locations around the world. It's a lot of overhead to manage working with 100 different recruitment companies across different geographies and different therapeutic areas. And so as a result, a lot of times they will only pick one or two or three global enabled companies to to support their recruitment efforts. And it's really unfortunate because it means that a lot of groups that could have had an impact are left on the sidelines. And so we've developed a marketplace where it makes it very easy for trial sponsors and organizations that are either patient recruitment companies or patient advocacy groups or healthcare companies that are looking to get involved in patient recruitment. We remove a lot of the friction to make it very easy for them to uh, contract with each other mm. and and actually get started on recruitment campaigns. So the, the hope there is that by, by expanding the tent or, or involving more f- or organizations on your team, hopefully that'll lead to, to quicker outcomes in terms of trials enrolling faster and, and more drugs coming to market sooner. Okay, got it. A lot of problems and a lot of stakeholders and, and quite a complex, I guess, life cycle across, across clinical trials. And, and I'm definitely not an expert in the entire space. It, it, just thinking about TrialScope specifically then, so it's a technology platform. And who uses it and who pays for it? That's the, like, who's the customer and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, great question. So primarily our core business that we've been running for the past 10 years is a solution that uh, pharmaceutical companies and biotechs are uh, paying for for a subscription Hmm. and their employees are using our solution. Hmm. So we have a a rules and workflow engine where data is being entered, it's being approved by certain key stakeholders within the organization, it's going through rounds of review. And then what TrialScope is doing is we're sharing that data, which is internal only at that point in time. And when the right time comes, someone's pressing a publish button and we're helping make sure that information is shared with the FDA and clinicaltrials.gov here in the US. Mm. If the trials run internationally, it's going to get shared with all the, the relevant international registries. We also have technology to help share some of that information with patients as well. And so all of that is through that business model of uh, the pharmaceutical companies and that, and that uh, license. And then when it comes to our newer solution that's helping patient recruitment organizations better match to pharma, in that model, it's very much kind of what you might expect of a, a marketplace bringing two sides together. Hmm. We have a, a platform fee or a commission. When our partners are successful, we participate in their success. Got it. Okay. Is it a competitive space in what you do or is what you do quite unique and you're complementary to a bunch of other stuff? 
I think it's a great question. Clinical trial recruitment, there are a lot of groups out there that are trying to differentiate themselves and whether that means that they specialize in rare disease Mm. or they specialize in oncology or they specialize in genetics. And so they're really good at helping find patients with a specific biomarker for a trial, or maybe they're really good at helping find healthy volunteers Mm. or even with everything going on with COVID, some specialize in helping find COVID patients. Mm. And so there is value in the differentiation of all those different organizations. And so I would describe Trialscope as we are not a patient recruitment company. We don't go out and and try to find patients and touch patients. Mm. What we're doing is we're leveraging the relationships that we have with many of the pharmaceutical companies in the industry. And we're making it very easy for all of the the different patient recruitment organizations out there to have the the technology and the, the relationships and the incentives to recruit with our existing customer base. So in that regard, I think we, we are a bit unique. But yeah, I would describe patient recruitment industry as a competitive environment, but I think it's it competitive in a positive way mm. in the sense that there's lots of room to differentiate or, and even in some instances, there's still, even if two groups look very similar, at the end of the day, the more people that are working on this difficult problem, the better. Mm, totally. And because there's a few technology players in Australia that are playing in the clinical trial space, it sounds like then you guys being, having a global perspective that you probably have some reach into Australia already and probably or potentially could work with those companies in the future? Definitely. I I think one of the things that we hear a lot of is it depends on the size of the pharmaceutical company or the biotech, depends on the type of trial experience they have. But these organizations are always learning on the fly in the sense that they had a phase two trial that was just in the US. And now they're launching a phase three that for the first time has sites in Australia. Mm. They've never worked in Australia before. They've never recruited in Australia before. So they have to learn on the fly how, how to do that. And they're limited in terms of only the the knowledge of within their organization and the relationships within their organization. Similarly, if a company is expanding to all of a sudden work in a new therapeutic area for the first time, they might not have those relationships or the, that historical insight. And so one of the things that we're really trying to do is just to increase visibility of who's out there working on recruitment, highlighting them, showcasing them, setting them up for success and and making it easier for sponsors to start working with them in a, a meaningful way. What's really unfortunate today is there's this RFP process or request right. for proposal where basically a, a pharmaceutical company will say, we need help with this trial or, and or we need help in recruitment in general. And then it's kind of like a very short list of preferred vendors that have been in the industry for a long time mm. that, that are the, on that short list of who gets to participate. Mm. And then a few winners are selected off that list. And we really think that model is really a disservice to the pharmaceutical company because now they're going to always have this opportunity cost of not knowing what would it have looked like if I've worked with some of these other organizations. Why did I pick one winner when I could have worked with 50 companies or 100 companies? But it's also a disservice to the startup recruitment company or the Australia-specific recruitment company that is trying to expand or prove themselves to, to some of these global organizations. Our goal is to, to give them a fast track, their ability to have that conversation with the sponsor and make sure that they're set up for success when the sponsor says, yes, we are expanding Australia. We'd love to, to work with those organizations. 
and making it very frictionless. Because today, it usually takes about four months to three years to just go through the contracting process and, and the procurement wow. process. That's a lot of time to go through a contracting process for three years. So. Especially when the trial is ready to go in a month or two, and all of a sudden you're now thinking through, okay, maybe it's too late for this trial, so it's not worthwhile to, to build new vendor relationships. Yeah, damn. Wow, okay, yeah, so it's a good problem to solve. Hey, Mike, kudos to you. It took you 13 minutes before someone actually mentioned COVID on this interview, so I think that's a record for these days. But you know, the obligatory COVID question, but it's it's very interesting for your space, I'm sure. How's COVID impacted what you guys are doing at Trialscope? Yeah, COVID's been really interesting in the, the pharma world because if you are a trial sponsor that had COVID vaccines or therapies in your portfolio, things are faster than ever and it's a high priority and, and a lot of resources are going into that. And so re- recruitment there is very strong. I think one of the things also is when you talk about clinical trials, there are interventional trials that are developing cures and vaccines and things like that. And I know there's a lot of companies that are rushing towards that as their finish line. There's also a lot of observational studies as well that are equally important. And so not every patient is maybe interested in participating in an interventional trial. And so we're excited about supporting even observational COVID trials. For things outside of COVID, it really depends. I think a lot of trials had to go on hold or put the additional recruitment uh, on pause, given everything that's going on. Trials are starting to open up a little bit again, but as things spike and things like that, it might be a bit of a challenge. But I, I will say that there's a lot of unknown moving forward, because if you can imagine everyone's different in terms of their condition and, and why they're, they're looking to get involved in a clinical trial, it's a very altruistic thing to do. And so if now all of a sudden the, the risk goes up and people are not even interested in taking their annual physical because of the risk of going to the doctor's office, and now you're talking about participating in a, an elective trial, we'll kind of see how things play out. But it, it definitely has had an impact in terms of repurposing resources and everything. Everyone is aligned and focused on COVID. Yeah. And I think for a lot of other treatments, unfortunately, it means that things are put on hold for the, the time being. Yeah. No, that's pretty consistent across everywhere. If it's not relate, directly related to COVID in some way, then it understandably needs to be put on hold. And, and looking at trials for COVID bit treatment or vaccines, you know, particularly globally, everywhere's dealing with spikes and social distancing, other kinds of, you know, measures that essentially are seeing us until we have some other kind of long-term solution, such as a vaccine. And then there's that, you know, the counter perspective that normally, as you say, some drugs and vaccines can take 10 or 15 years before they, you know, become available. So I'm not sure if you're closer to the scene. What are you seeing in terms of the balance of, you know, trying to find a, a, a good solution really quickly versus balancing the needs of, you know, due diligence and process to ensure that a, a safe um, solution is found? that's that's globally consistent? Yeah, it, it, great question. So when it comes to specifically COVID, I think all the trials will continue to be run as trials have always been run with that scientific rigor and making sure that we're bringing something forward that is effective. And I think there's certain things that maybe can be accelerated in terms of review or paper or things like that. But the actual trial itself will probably run its, its normal course mm. to make sure that safety is in place. I think what is interesting is once you look past COVID and on the other side of this pandemic, one of the other trends in the industry was that running clinical trials is very expensive. It usually involves choosing sites, clinical trial sites that are in metropolitan areas that have are at a hospital or something like that. 
which makes it makes it in a, in a new world on the other side of this pandemic where maybe people are leaving cities heading to more rural areas things like that less inclined to wanting to go into a, mm. a large hospital setting there was a, a trend towards decentralized trials where either the patient could participate in a trial from home where someone would come to you your home to administer a test if could be, or, or maybe you would go to a local doctor's office to pull a lab result or if need be. And so I do think that was picking up a lot of steam even towards the end of last year. There's a lot of activity, folks talking about that, doing early experimenting around what decentralized trials might look like. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of things to work out. There's a lot of kinks in that to, to make sure that it has that same scientific rigor, that patients are actually taking the medicine, that you're able to monitor someone remotely, things like that. But as technology helps us solve some of those problems, I do think that this pandemic has accelerated probably the the investment and the adoption of decentralized trials. It's probably a good thing long term and, and also addresses that immediate need. So that's uh yeah. That's sounding positive. Hey, closing it out then, Mike, back to trial scope. What's on the horizon for you guys or what could we see from the future and, and what's happening there? Yeah, I mean, we're really excited about trial data. That's it's built into our DNA. We live and breathe trial data. And so we're always lurking on initiatives with different stakeholders and partners of how we can improve that trial data. One of the biggest things that I personally am the most excited about is the eligibility criteria. So if you're going to be able to participate in a trial, there's an extensive list of eligibility criteria. You have to be a certain age, certain gender, you have to have a certain condition, you need a certain biomarker, you can't have had a stroke. There's a lot of different <laughs> criteria. And today, most of that information, and as a, as a software developer, this pains me, all of that information exists as unstructured text that people just go in and, and write freehand. So that means that there might be something like an oncology, there's a concept of an ECOG score, which is an important metric that's used as the eligibility criteria for a lot of trials. But because it's unstructured, there's hundreds, if not thousands of different permutations of how that's written. And so it, it requires a lot of curation or machine learning. If someone ever wanted to create a matching, a patient-centric matching tool to say, I'm going to help oncology patients match to clinical trials, there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done just to improve the data to make that possible uh, and make sure it's accurate. And so one of the things we're excited about at Trialscope is making sure that as data standards get adopted or, or we, we figure out what those standards are to actually implement them in our own technology so that moving forward, we can force or enforce the structure of that data to hopefully unlock better patient experiences because we'll have better matching capabilities and, and better information coming out of these systems. Sounds interesting. Now, look, Thanks, Mike. I'll put all the details of what Trialscope does and some of the talking points that we raised during the podcast. I'll put them in the show notes of the, the episode. Really enjoyed the chat and thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Peter. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.